Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View Podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Terry. I'm one of the pastors here, and just a joy to be able to welcome you. And I, I love this morning's um, worship time, our time of communion, um, a, a little bit of, of a, just a peaceful time of singing. Um, and it really helps our hearts uh, just get in the mood of this Christmas season. And, and I think it really pairs well with what we're going to talk about today. And if you're just catching up with us, we've been talking about how can we capture Christmas? How can we capture the essence of Christmas? How can we make sure that we don't miss it, that um, when we get to December 26 and we have the big letdown, at least we can turn back and look at it and say, oh, this was a beautiful season, one filled with great memories, with joy, and I didn't miss the season. Well, today we're going to talk specifically uh, about a couple of points that we're going to bring out. And what I love about this, whether you're in a balcony, watching online, or here on the floor, is I think it really speaks to all of our hearts. And I think it's something that all of us can grab onto as I was preparing this message. Um, As I've said before, when you look through the Christmas story, you're looking for a different angle, a different viewpoint, or a new point or principle that you can pull from God's Word that you can apply. And today we're going to look through the eyes of Herod the Great. Now, I love this because when you think of Herod, many of us read the Christmas story and we get to Herod and we don't like Herod. And we're going to get into it and talk a lot about Herod and what he is and everything else. Um, And so our natural human tendency as Christians is we like to root for the good guys and we want to root against the bad guys. And so when we read the Bible, we kind of get, I don't know if you're like me, but you begin to read the story and when you get to Herod, you just want to keep going. You you don't even want to talk about it. You're like, no, bad guy, bad guy, move on. Let me get to, oh, the shepherds. I like the shepherds. Okay, oh, the the three wise guys. Oh, I like them. That's good. And so we, we tend to get our minds focused around the parts of the story that we like. And we tend to run from the ones that we don't. Well, what if we actually looked and learned a lesson from Herod today? Well, some of you might want to get up and leave right now. It's not the lesson you're thinking of. But I do believe that God has a lesson for all of us as we unpack this part of the Christmas story. And so if you're new to the Christmas story, today we're going to talk about three wise men who are going to travel to Jerusalem, Bethlehem, and they're looking for the Christ child, the new king. And so we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Here we go. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? Let's pause right there. These three wise men were Zoroastrian priests from the land of Persia. They were in charge of sacrifices where they came from. They were very strong and revered astrologists. If you ever wonder, why are they looking at the stars? Why are they traveling? It's because Zoroastrian priests knew the stars. They knew the outlaying of the stars, and they also knew a little bit of prophecy and history. And so when all of a sudden they recognized a brand new, bright, shining star, they knew their history, they knew the skies, and they knew the newborn king must have been born. Now here's the interesting part. When they looked at this, what happens when a king is born? A king is usually born from another king. So as they traveled into Jerusalem, into the area, they were coming to King Herod. Why? They were coming to congratulate him. They were coming to say, we bring gifts for the new king that's related to you. 
And so you can begin to see, oh, drama is about to unfold. We continue, and he says, we saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. Well, obviously, as we think of Herod, we pick up the story, and we begin to see what Herod sees. So let's jump to that scripture. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. And now we know why. Excuse me? New king? So then, King Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Now you begin to see, if you're one of the three wise men, something's afoot, right? You begin to see, wait a second, Herod doesn't know about this, and Herod wants me to come back. And so something's fishy, and you begin to see this drama unfolding. And by the way, um, we're going to have a private meeting so we can talk about this. We continue the story. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. And isn't that interesting? And what I would say this, and this wasn't in my notes, but I just want to share, anybody who's brokenhearted this Christmas season, everyone who is faltering in their relationship with Jesus or questions their relationship with Jesus, is God there? Is he real? Is he really watching out for me? I shudder to think how many times God had my back. I shudder to think how many times God worked on my behalf and I don't even realize it or know it. And look how God worked for Jesus, for Mary, for Joseph, for the people of Jerusalem is that God warned these priests, don't do that. Go somewhere else. And so we continue with the story. It says, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he said this, get up, get up. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Once again, God acting in our best interests. So he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night, and he left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so when we see this, all of a sudden you see Jesus and his family go to Alexandria in Egypt. And many of us, we don't realize that Jesus, part of his childhood, was grown up and born in Egypt. That fulfilled the prophecy that we see right here. It says this, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And we come back to Herod. And when Herod had realized that he had been outwitted by the three wise men, the Zoroastrian priests, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Leave it right here for a second. King Herod was a dictator. I don't know if you know this about King Herod. King Herod was married nine times. He was married nine times for political reasons, for lustful reasons, He had one of his wives and his two brothers killed because he thought that they had eyes on his throne. Herod loved power. He wasn't even Jewish. Did you know this? He was not even Jewish. He was Idumean. Well, Terry, what does that mean? He was from Edom. He was from southern Israel. And did you know that Edom was at odds with Israel through the years. So he was a king, but he was an appointed king. He wasn't revered by the Jewish people. He wasn't liked by the Jewish people. And so he knew that he needed to keep control on the kingdom, and he needed to keep power because he wanted that in his life. And when we pause and we think about this, some of us are like, Terry, I really don't like this part of the Christmas story. Let's move on. Let's get to something a little bit better. Mary, Joseph, animals, come on. 
But isn't that how we are in life? Isn't that how we are coming to church on Sunday? We want to hear what we're doing right. But we don't want to evaluate our hearts and maybe be convicted about something that we might not be doing right. And there's a strong lesson from Herod because Herod represents the heart of man. How many of us have no trouble with pride? How many of us have no trouble with power? How many of us have no trouble with control? Okay, type A's. And to me, Herod represents all of that. He was just a human man, and he desired power, control. He desired everything. He, you see, Herod wanted to be king, and he didn't recognize the king. Herod wanted to be king. He didn't recognize the king, Jesus Christ. And you know, the truth of the matter is, and you go to sleep after this, truth is, is we do this all the time. If you're a parent, if you're a, you want to be king of your household, you want to be king of your marriage, you want to be king of your kids, you want to be in control, you have that pride. All of us in this room suffer. If you've ever had an argument with a spouse and a spouse says, why are you so impatient? I'm not impatient. Whenever you argue, whenever you hold on, whenever you dig your heels in, it is a moment in time where you look at your Lord and Savior and you say, I got this, I'm in control, I'm not wrong. And we suffer as humans all the time. Now, if any, I would tell you, if any of you in here say, no, Terry, that's not me, oh, watch out, watch out. I've said this many times to my friends and to our staff team. I actually am enjoying getting older. Now, there's parts of being getting older I don't like, but I do enjoy getting older because I don't know, those of you that are in the season, as you get wiser in age, you don't take yourself as serious. You begin to realize, you know what, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. You know, I don't have my act together. You know, my three-year-old knows the iPhone better than I do. You begin to realize, you know what, at the end of the day, why am I being so prideful? Why am I just, why do I have to control this? But there's a danger side to getting older too because how many of us who are getting a little bit older, we sit there and we utter statements like this. You know what, I've been doing it 40 years like this and I'm gonna do it another 40 years like this. You know what, that's the way we've always done it and we're gonna continue to do it that way. You know what, I don't like that because this is the way that we do it. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't have the liberty to say something like that. Because that's about control. That's about power. That's about you controlling your destiny. And that's a little bit Herod-esque. And we don't like that. You know, Jesus spoke about this, and he was very strong. And many of us, if you're a Christian, you read this scripture and you move past it because you're like, I don't like this. I don't get it. I don't understand it. This is where I start to doubt my Christianity because I don't know what Jesus was saying. Take a look at Luke 14, 26, and see what Jesus says about when we put other things in front of him as the king. Take a look at this. He said this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. We don't like that, right? But what is Jesus saying? He says, do you understand that I'm the king? Do you understand that everything you have in your life, all your gifts, all your talents, all your resources, everything comes from me. And so when you take pride in, look what I did. I married a wonderful Christian fox. 
And when you say that, you take pride in, I did this. I, no, you didn't do this. I laugh. I have a beautiful bride. I love her to death. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And I thank God for her all the time. And I sit there, and when I have pride in it, I almost imagine God looking at me saying, you knucklehead, who gave her to you? You, didn't, you don't have what it takes to get this. I gave this to you. And when we realize that, we begin to see, wait a second, some of us it's hard. Well, you know, my family, I have this and this. Your family was blessed by God. Your job came from God. Your title, your position came from God. And when we stand up and take pride or we take some kind of control in the fact that, look what I've done, my fellow brothers and sisters are here, I'm elevated to here. Danger, that's Herod-esque. And I think that's why Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple if you have even a hint of that in your heart. Because then you're taking credit for what I've done in and through you. And that's not the Christmas spirit. You know, here's the truth. I think Jesus was saying, if you want to be my disciple, you must accept the Christmas spirit. If you want to be my disciple, you must recognize me and only me as the king. Now lean in here for a second, because I think Paul, the Apostle Paul, I think he had this down. Because here's the battle you and I and watching online and in the balcony, here's what we face all the time. And we just want to ignore it and we just want to justify it and we just want to walk. But every one of us struggles with this. Every single one of us. There is not a perfect person in this room. And Paul says it. And he says, you know what, Terry, you're struggling with? Let me tell you. He says, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. In other words, Terry, when you get prideful, you don't want to submit to Jesus. You don't want to do the right thing. You don't want to honor him. And that's natural because you're human. And that's when you have to stop and say, Jesus, you are right. Jesus, you are king. Jesus, I am nothing without you. Now, here's the beauty of God. I am fearfully and wonderfully made in Jesus Christ. But I am fearfully, wonderfully made in Jesus Christ because he did it. And I'm thankful he did it. And when I'm in my best and when I'm a true follower of Jesus, I wake up and say, God, everything is yours. Let me give you an illustration. For 16 years, I drove a car. I drive a car till it dies. And 16 years, I kept paying a car payment to myself. So for 16 years, I saved up for the day when I needed a new car. And guess what? My car said it's done. I said, praise the Lord. I can jump into the 21st century, if you know what I mean. And I went out and I bought a new car. And I'm so happy and so excited. I love it. It's just such a major upgrade from what I used to have. And I won't tell you the whole story, but not anything of my doing, fault or by chance, all of a sudden, a nice, big, fat rock found itself in the middle of my windshield. Have you ever had something so new that you waited so long and it looks so good and you take really good care of it and all of a sudden it's like, no! I had a pastor pity party the next day. If you're a pastor, you know what I mean. You have those days. And I was just mad. And true story, I'm laying in bed the next morning, and I'm sitting there, and I'm saying, God, all right, God, let's talk. Seriously, if you ever want to know my prayer life, this is me and God. God, let's talk. God, you know me. And you know, as a pastor, you know, I just, I have to, to grit my teeth. I have to, you know, I, I just, I have to choose different things. My humanness wants to just give it to some, but I don't. And I just hold it in and I just, ugh. and God, in this situation, right now, it's not, it's not going the way that it should. 
I didn't do anything wrong. This was not my fault. And I'm going to end up holding the bag. And God, you know what? And blah, 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 blah. And I said, so God, I'm just tired of getting kicked in the teeth. And so, you know, I know that it's not, but if you could just do something, I don't know what it is, but tangibly, just make me feel better. And immediately, and this is true, I'm not making this up, immediately I paused, because in prayer is two-way, right? And I sat there and I said, all right. And you know what God said immediately? God, who's, he said, Terry, whose car is that? It's your car. Who gave you that car? You did. Who gave you the resources for the car? You did. So why are you stressing? Because I don't want to have a pity party. Because I'm battling the flesh. Because I'm battling for control. Because I'm battling for power over this situation. And that's what the human side does, is we want to be in control. And so we try to control. And we try to do this. And we do everything we can to get ourselves feeling better. And so we do it, we do it, we do it. Meanwhile, God says, Terry, this is not about you. This is about me. And if you trust me, you can be at peace. And by the way, do you know what this week's candle of Advent is? Peace. You can have peace if you just realize that I'm the author and giver of everything. And so, I'm a practical person. Terry, how can you accept the king this Christmas? How can we all say, you know what, we all struggle with this. So how can we make sure as we enter this last week, how can we be peaceful this week? And have a better marriage, have a better family time, and maybe for the first time in a long time to say, I'm sorry, you're right, I messed up, as opposed to bowing up and being prideful. And so if you get this first point, you can go to sleep. All right, you have my permission. You ever do this where you look at a question that says, if, if the answer is yes to this, skip down to the bottom of the page. You ever seen that? So in this message, here it is. If you get this first point, you can skip to the end of the message. You ready? Number one, realize you're in denial. Realize that you are in denial. You can no longer call yourself a follower of Jesus and continue utter statements like, well, that's the way I've done it and that's the way it's always gonna be. Well, that's the way I am and you're just gonna have to live with it. If you do those things, then what you're doing is, is you're looking at Jesus when he says, if you have to hate your mother, hate your father. In other words, you cannot put anything in front of me. So you need to lay down your habits, you need to lay down your pride, and you need to be a follower of Jesus. When you do wrong, stop justifying it. And stop living in denial and realize, you know what, every day I'm miserable in my flesh. And every day I have to submit to the king. Because if you don't do that and say, Terry, you're wrong, I can do this and be in control and I can be a follower of Jesus. You can't have it both ways. Either Jesus Christ is the son of God and he's your king or he's a madman. There is no in-between. No in-between. He either is who he says he is or he's crazy. And for those of us who believe he's the son of God, then we have to act as if he's our king. So stop living in denial. Husbands, stop being prideful. Wives, stop being prideful. Husbands, grandparents, stop controlling everything. And start looking and saying, Jesus, I start my day with you. It is your life, not mine. So that's number one. And as I close, number two is really easy. Realize that his kingdom does not reflect earthly kingdoms. His kingdom is different. You know, when I look at King Herod, kingdoms were all about power and control. Think about it. 
Kingdoms were about power and control. And what kings did is they acquired more territory, more control, and they tried to elevate their lives and status in front of other people. So being a king was all about, look at me, look at me, look what I've done, look what I've done. That was what kingdoms were on earth. And because culturally we look at that, we model our lives over that. Look at my job. Look how I got a promotion. Look how I got another promotion. Look at how smart I am. Look at what I've done. And we've fooled ourselves into thinking that that's what life is under the king. But that's not what his kingdom represents. Because at the end of the day, God does not choose the perfect and obvious. He chooses those that are typically rejected. God chooses the rejected. And the reason why he did it is he didn't want to confuse any of us of what his kingdom would look like. You don't believe me? Take a look at this list. God chose the Jewish people and not the Egyptians. The Jewish people were enslaved by the Egyptians. The Egyptians were the biggest, baddest army in the world. And God said, no, I'm going to choose these people that drive me crazy. He chose the Jewish people. God chose Abel and not Cain. Abel, Cain was the firstborn. Cain deserved all the blessing. And he chose his brother. God chose Isaac and not Ishmael. God chose his deliverance of his plan and the prayers of his people. God chose Jacob, who was not the favorite of his fathers. God chose Sarah, who couldn't have children until a ripe age over 90, who was rejected by her peers because if you didn't know this, if you couldn't have children and you were a woman, you were discarded in culture because what good are you? And God chose Sarah. God chose Rebecca, God chose Hannah, God chose Elizabeth, and God chose a Nazarene to bring forth the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Why? Why did he do that? Very simple. This Christmas, remember, it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, what your background is, what secrets you carry, how much you've messed up. Because Jesus says, my kingdom is for you because I'm the king that came for the weak and the brokenhearted and there is always a place for you. And so in this room, if you wanna be a follower of Jesus and if you truly wanna celebrate Jesus Christ and Christmas, then it's time to lay down your control, lay down your pride, lay down your power and it's time to say, Jesus, I am yours. My family's yours. My prayer practically this Christmas is as you open presents on the 25th and you have your family around, all of us have a joy and a pride that swells within, and that's wonderful. But it's really important at that time for us to quickly turn and to bring that joy back up to the giver who gave it all. And so when you look at your children opening gifts and you have a smile on your face, I challenge you to look and say, God, thank you for my children. When you look at your spouse opening your gifts and smiling at you, pretending that she likes it, but she's really gonna take it back next week, when she does that, say, God, thank you for my bride. And when you're done celebrating all the wonderful aspects of Christmas as a family, I pray that you pray and say, God, thank you for the blessings you've given our family because you are the king and you are the giver of all. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this Christmas. Thank you so much 
for the blessings of this Christmas and the lessons from King Herod. God, we don't want to be in control. We don't want that power because that power belongs solely to you. And so as followers of Jesus, God, we tell you that you are the king of our lives. And so I pray for the husband who's prideful. I pray that today would be the day that they step out of denial. And I pray that today, no matter what age they are, that they would humble themselves and say, you are my king. And I have no right to be prideful because you are my king. I pray, God, for the parents in the room that are struggling, God, and I pray that they would remember that their children's examples do not reflect upon them because the truth of the matter is is that they're yours. And so, God, may we learn to model as parents and may we learn to parent and understanding that we are parenting them because they are your children. So God, whatever the situation in our lives, may you receive the glory, may you be the king, and we celebrate you this week, this Christmas week of peace. And we tell you we love you in Jesus' name.